Welcome to Married to Politics. This podcast focuses on political topics that you accidentally end up discussing with someone way more knowledgeable than you. Except here, I save you the trouble by discussing politics accidentally on purpose. I'm Sarah Goggins, here with my husband, Derek Santola, who is the true political expert. Not unlike most mornings in our house, each episode, Derek surprises me with a key political issue that he is overprepared to discuss while I ask the hard-hitting and often awkward questions until I either understand or tire him out on the topic. So Derek, what are we talking about today? Well, Sarah, as you probably know, there's 50 states within the union. But how about if we had a 51st? What you talking about? Talking specifically about H.R. 51, known as the Washington, D.C. Admission Act. So what this bill would do would provide for admission to the United States, the state of Washington Douglas Commonwealth, composed of most of the territory of the District of Columbia. And the Commonwealth would be admitted to the Union on equal footing with all other states. Tell me more. So as a historical backdrop, Washington, D.C., as you're probably aware, is the federal district and capital of the United States. However, Washington, D.C., at present, has no voting member in Congress. It has a delegate in the House of Representatives who gets to serve on committees, but when bills go to the floor, Eleanor Holmes Norton, our current delegate, has no voting power. She just, like, sits there and hangs out on the floor? Is she allowed on the floor? Of course she's allowed on the floor. She gets to make speeches just like any other member of the House, but she doesn't get a vote. And what's even worse is there's zero representation within the United States Senate for the District of Columbia. And what's compounded by that is the District of Columbia Home Rule Act which effectively allows Congress to check any decisions that are made by the mayor of D.C. and the D.C. City Council. So the D.C. Home Rule Act is a U.S. federal law which was passed in December 24, 1973, which devolved certain congressional powers to the District of Columbia, the local government, furthering D.C.'s home rule. And in particular, it included the District Charter, also called the Home Rule Charter, which allowed for an elected mayor and the Council of D.C. So under the Home Rule government, Congress reviews all legislation passed by the council before it becomes law and retains authority over the district's budget. Also, the president appoints the district's judges. The district still has no voting representation in Congress. And because of these and other limitations on local government, many citizens of the district can continue to lobby for the greater autonomy, such as full statehood. So here's some examples of what the Home Rule Act specifically prohibits. So... The city council can't lend public credit for private projects. It can't impose a tax on individuals who work in the district but live elsewhere. It can't make any changes to the Heights of Buildings Act of 1910, which governs how high our buildings are here in D.C. It can't pass any law changes in the composition or jurisdiction of local courts or enact a local budget that is not balanced. So, these people who are in Congress, who don't like federal overreach, want to run D.C.? They don't just want to do it. They've been doing it. So here are some classic examples of what Congress has checked. Hit me with it. So in 1996, the D.C. Council passed a clean needle exchange program. However, in 98, Congress voted to block that law. In 2007, Congress voted to lift the ban, thus allowing the law to go into effect. So right there, a decade passed from the time the D.C. Council passed something into law before it could be able to be enacted. So this is the federal government telling a city that the government, the federal government knows better. 
That's exactly right. But as we're looking at statehood, it's those same people who don't like federal overreach are the ones who are arguing against statehood. Exactly. So Republican Senator Mike Lee, as well as members of the House, who happen to be Republican as well, have come out against D.C. statehood. A lot of it boils down to the fact that they believe that this is a Democratic ploy to get more representation. However, what it really is is a small-D effort to get 712,000 American citizens the full franchise. Another quick example um, about federal blockage of D.C. local rule is in 2014, Congress voted to block Initiative 71, which was the legalization and possession of minimal amounts of marijuana for personal use. By blocking funds from being used to enact laws, rules, or regulations for reducing or legalizing any Schedule One drug. However, since this was passed after the results of Initiative 71 had already been announced, it did not prevent legalization of marijuana, but had the effect of leaving marijuana legal without the authority to expend funds on enacting regulations or taxation. So they gutted money from that was already appropriated by the local DC government to be able to regulate marijuana within DC. Another local issue that's been trampled by Congress. There are a lot of questions that need to be answered about DC statehood. So we have the federal district, but what do we do with all the federal buildings? So the Douglas Commonwealth would consist of all district territory with specified exclusions for federal buildings and monuments, including what they're calling principal federal monuments. So primarily the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, Vietnam, the mall. Um, as well as the White House, the Capitol Building, the Supreme Court Building. Just like other states have federally preserved national or national parks. Exactly. There's national land within states. National parks. It would also carve out any federally owned military installations that are within the district. Which already happens in states. Exactly. The same exact concept. Some people are saying, this is unconstitutional. The federal district can't be owned by any state. However, that's not... That wouldn't be, um, the, the bill would, would maintain that federal carve out. The federal district capital area would just be surrounded by, instead of Maryland and Virginia, it would be surrounded by Douglas Commonwealth and the Commonwealth of Virginia. Also, the Constitution states that the federal district can't be any larger than 10 square miles, but it doesn't give a constitutional minimum. And in fact, when DC, when, when land was provided by Virginia and Maryland to create the District of Columbia, land was then given back to Virginia in what is now known as Arlington uh, and the Northern, and Alexandria, the Northern Virginia area. So that cuts against an argument that many have brought, which is called retrocession. So under retrocession, all of the area that is seeking to become state would be given back to Maryland. So the constitutional argument being that that doesn't have to happen, and also the political and practical argument that if all of a sudden the District of Columbia became part of Maryland, you would then have a counterweight to Baltimore and other areas within the state that would now need the, the governor of Maryland and the state legislature of Maryland to account for funding and police and large expenditures for what could on its own be a state. Several people have said it doesn't make any sense for a middle-sized city to become its own state. However, 
the the current population in Washington, D.C., 712,000 people, is already larger than two states, Wyoming and Vermont. The Dakotas have more than us? It's close. It's a close... um, We're getting close to the population of North Dakota as well as Montana. We're coming for you. Montana is massive, and they've got, like, four residents. (laughs) I believe... But also, they still have two senators. That's right. And we have... Goose egg. That's absolutely right. So what's the argument against it? And additional question is, I've often heard in discussions like this that states come in in pairs of twos. So is there any interest in trying to tack Puerto Rico on to become a state? So I marched through a couple of arguments against this already. Uh, another one would be the Constitution. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgiven. The, uh, another strong argument against it is kind of the constitutional unwinding of the 23rd Amendment. So the 23rd Amendment grants three electoral votes to Washington, D.C. in the Presidential Electoral College. If all of a sudden, the language of, of the 23rd Amendment grants it to the federal district. If all of a sudden you remove those 712,000 people from the federal district and, and put them in a state, then under plain reading, it could be conceived that the residents of the federal district, the only ones being the inhabitants of the White House, would then have three votes to themselves. Oh, interesting. So what this bill does is it would repeal the 23rd Amendment because obviously we don't want the current president of the United States to have three votes to give to her or himself. Okay. In conjunction with creating a state, and based on our population here in D.C., would our population size get us to three electoral college votes? Because isn't it done by the census? How many electoral college votes you get or no? So the floor for your electoral college votes is the number of senators plus the number of representatives that you have for each state. So I talked about Wyoming. Oh, Vermont. we would at least have three. Every state has a floor of three. Oh, okay. Beautiful. So we would we would effectively carry it over um, to the Washington Douglas Commonwealth. It would have three. And, and as we continue to get larger... We may even be looking at, at four at a certain point. Um, it also tackles a couple of other um, less high profile, but also very important aspects. So the bill would continue certain federal authorities and responsibilities, including federal employee benefits, agencies, courts, and college tuition assistance until the Commonwealth certifies that it is prepared to take over those authorities and responsibilities. So effectively everything that is now Washington, D.C., at the federal level would then be transferred under the auspices of the Douglas Commonwealth. The bill would also establish, in order to help this happen, a statehood transition commission to advise the president, Congress, and the district and Commonwealth leaders on the transition. So this would be a a lengthy process to ensure that what was once federal district land, area, resources would then properly be placed under the power of Douglas Commonwealth. So you brought up that there's this tradition that states are admitted into the union in pairs. And while that's true, the most recent additions of states were in the 1950s with Alaska and Hawaii coming in together. Um, 
a lot of people have, have floated this idea that if we were to bring in D.C., perhaps we should bring in another state. And Puerto Rico seems to be um, the clear choice for that. There have been additional bills introduced in the Senate. Um, the lead sponsor for that bill is Senator Martin Heinrich from New Mexico um, to have Puerto Rico statehood brought up. Again, both um, D.C. admission as well as Puerto Rico statehood would be passed in your traditional method of legislation. You would have to overcome the filibuster, and then it would be passed on a majority vote. So I think here's another fertile area to determine how committed are we to ensuring that American citizens who live in here in D.C., in Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, American Samoa, and others. Northern Mariana Islands. Northern Mariana Islands. Shout out. Are entitled to the franchise and full rights as citizens of the United States. How committed are we to ensuring that America truly is enforcing that small d democratic reform? Okay, but also, I mean, in a little bit of insult to injury, those other territories, like Puerto Rico, they don't, they're exempt from federal income tax. We are not. So the whole taxation without representation rings so much louder because we're not even granted the same exemptions that other territories are. We're not a state, not yet a woman. <laughs> That's true. And in fact, we pay more per capita in income tax than over half of the country already. Cool, cool, cool. Not to mention that we have thousands of members of the armed forces who are from D.C. or eventually called D.C. home. They've lost their ability to vote, although the very Congress that's in charge of them could send them to war at a moment's notice. We have gold star families who are the loved ones of those who have fallen in service to this country. When you look at us on paper and you take away the concept that D.C. is geographically smaller than any other state, are we smaller than Delaware? Yes. Aw. Okay. But to your point, there are some very small states in the upper northeast. Delaware, Rhode Island, Connecticut. They all have full statehood. And interestingly, all of their senators are in full support of D.C. statehood. It's the further western territories that have smaller populations, but large geographic areas. Their elected representatives are not completely on board. Oh, so they can dilute, dilute other people's votes, but they don't want their vote, quote, diluted. Exactly. This is dumb. I'm sorry. Just, why can't people figure this out? They're too busy reading Dr. Seuss in the basement of the Senate. Just do actual work. So let's talk about the procedural posture of H.R. 51. So it was introduced on January 4th, right at the beginning of um, the new Congress. And then it was also introduced in the Senate on January 26th. So this is about a week after President Biden took office. Of note, President Biden during the campaign in 2019 and 2020 led a very large Twitter chain that said, DC should be a state, pass it on. That was followed by several people that were highly involved in the presidential Passing campaign. It they passed it on. They passed it on. Retweeted, followed, passed it on. So clearly, President Biden is in favor of D.C. statehood. Again, it all boils down to the Senate. So currently in the Senate, 
as I said before, it would have to pass that 60 vote threshold to overcome the filibuster and then get passed on a majority vote line. However, the bill only has 40 co-sponsors. Um, it would need to make up an additional 10. Based off the insiders... But you don't have to be a co-sponsor of a bill to vote for it. No, you don't. But it's an early indication that you are in support of it. So the next step, before we even get to the Senate, is that it's going to have a hearing as well as a vote in the House. So on Monday, March 22nd, the H.R. 51 bill will have its second hearing in the past three years before the House Oversight and Reform Committee. So again, Mayor Bowser will be there, other representatives from the district will be there to make the case for D.C. statehood. H.R. 51, for the first time ever, was passed in the House during the 116th Congress during 2019. Given that the House is uh, majority Democrat controlled, it seems likely that it will also pass in the House. And if, after it's passed in the House, it will then go back to the Senate, where we run into those same issues that we were talking about before. Filibuster and needing to make sure that every Democrat is on board with voting for D.C. statehood. Interesting. So I think we've laid out a good argument for making D.C. the 51st state. For those of you that are not living in... I don't know. We'd have to redo all the flags. I'm not sure it's worth it just for the flag controversy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just we'll, put our star in the dead center. We'll throw some links to uh, flags that have already been made, including the 51st state, uh, for those of you that are listening. So thanks again, everyone, and have a good Bye.